0: hello everybody and welcome to the stochastic how to play nhl dfs video i am michael clifford aka slim cliffy and joining me is the big dog mr joshua harris josh we're here to talk about how to play nhl dfs a little bit and let's just jump right into it um projections obviously projections are a big thing doesn't matter what sport you play um you know, Maybe five or six years ago, people were kind of playing by feel and, and maybe trying to ride hot streaks and, and things of that nature. But uh, it seems most of the fields, uh, regardless of sport, are using projections of some sort. Uh, obviously, we recommend using the ones here at Stochastic and coming uh, to join us. But um, people uh, will be using projections for players, for lines, for goalies. Um, I think the first thing to mention is, When we have projections, and I'll bring ours up, I'll show you what we have uh, on for us. uh, Sorry, for the slate that uh, we're playing here today. Um, You have the projections here. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is our top projected winger on DraftKings, 15.4 points. Uh, Then you have a goalie. Goalies tend to project uh, highly, at least good ones, in good spots uh, at 14.7, and then so on down. I think the first thing people need to know is like this isn't a hard and fast rule, right? Like projections are median scores. Uh, you know, for people that can't remember back to grade eight or grade nine math, median just means the score that's anticipated in the middle. So if a player plays 10 games and, you know, um, there are 11 games and their sixth game is a score of nine points, then their median projection will be nine points. It's different from average, where you add everything together and then divide it. So um, given that these are just medium projections and there's certainly, uh, a lot of upside to, to some players, not so much on others. How do you approach using projections when you build your lineups?
1: So it's, it's kind of, I'm a single entry player mostly. So it's a bit different for me than MME. Like with MME, you take the lines that you like and you put them into fantasy cruncher or whatever, and Then you let like the top projected stuff that you don't really have fill out the rest. Now for me, I use project like one to three lineup players like myself. I like to use them as confirmation bias a little bit. Um, If I'm down to like a a one-off player, I'll look for, you know, I'll sort the projections by players in that salary range and see if I'm on the right track. Because if I'm way off, sometimes I'll just jam in the highest projected player in that price range, Um, but most of the time, I'm just in there for uh, confirmation bias. Another thing I'll say about projections, it is very hard to project goalies. Uh, It's kind of a crapshoot, but you you see most of these top goalies, they're big home favorites. Some of the, 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 the road dogs you see kind of projected lower, but as we talk about on our strategy show, sometimes we really like playing these um you know do- uh, road dogs because you're going to see a lot of shot volume and shot volume on draft kings is king so you know we do the best we can with goalie projections but you know it's any goalie can ha- have like a massive shutout even you know they're just weird creatures i don't know how else to describe goalies so like we do the best we can and, you know, most of the time you see those big, the big projections for uh, teams in really good spots.
0: Yeah, um, that's the way it does go with goalies. Um, I'll just bring up uh, the slate that we're looking at here today. Uh, Billy Huso, uh, big favorite at home for Detroit, playing uh, what should be a bad Montreal team. And because there's only four games on the slate that we're looking at, he's projecting the best over on DraftKings. Uh, Frederick Anderson for Carolina now. Uh, with Carolina, it's it's because they're a pretty good team, playing a pretty bad team tonight. They're going into San Jose, um, so he's projecting very well. So, yes, that's kind of how it goes uh, with goalies, is that the goalies uh, on the better teams, in the better matchups, will generally project better. On the flip side, um, we'll talk about it a little bit later when we talk about goalies specifically, but shot volume can matter a lot, um, especially over on DraftKings where you can get, shot bonuses so the last thing i will say about projections um is is i use them more as a guideline like if one if players are similarly priced and one guy's projected for 12 and one guy's projected for 11.7 or 11 and a half points or something like that i treat them as basically the same player right uh hockey is a very random sport i like to liken it uh it's close it's much much closer to baseball than it is to something like basketball uh, especially when you're playing DFS. So there can be a lot of variance night to night in performance, uh, even from um, from elite players, which is why, you know, just because uh, a center is projected for 14 points, you don't expect them to put up, you know, 10 points, even on a bad night. Uh, on a bad night, they could put up just a goose egg. So uh, just be wary of that when you are using projections. All right. Um, let's talk cash game versus GPPs uh, for people that might be newer to uh, DFS GPPs are guaranteed prize pools. They're the large tournaments, you know, uh hundred K total prize pool with 30 K to first or something like that. Um, you, so you do play cash lineups. I don't play as much. Um, you do play one cash lineup and one tournament lineup. How do you differentiate the two? What, do, what, what, uh differences are there in your roster construction between your cash games and your tournaments
1: yeah for for cash game lineups i don't force correlation if it happens to get into my lineup then i'm not gonna you know fight it but for cash lineups i'm looking for high floor high ceiling type players um gpps i will put in you know i'll stack some lines and generally if you stack a line and they go off you know you're gonna get a higher ceiling but as we've talked about on our strategy show a lot last year, it's very unlikely when a line goes off that all three players on the line go off with them. So you you really just take the highest four player from that line and put them into your cash lineup. You look for value uh, in your cash lineups. So yeah, you might end up with like two or three guys from the same team in a cash lineup, but I don't, I don't try to force that in there. I just try to get, you know, the highest floor that I can possible into a cash lineup. GPPs, there's different constructions, which we'll get into in a little bit, but I tend to have a lot more correlation in my GPP lineups.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I like the point that you made about cash lineups, about those kind of high floor guys. Um, Really, regardless of of which site you're playing, but most specifically on DraftKings and even on FanDuel, you definitely want guys that shoot the puck a lot. Um, Shots tend to be a little bit more repeatable than simple point production um one guy i'll just mention um briefly is somebody like alex wenberg over in, in seattle um he didn't have a single game last year with five shots on goal which is the bonus over on DraftKings. so he's absolutely a guy that has a low floor um but he did have a lot of multi-point games right so he can put up you know 15 20 25 points uh a few times throughout the season, which is why you might use them in tournaments, but you would never use them in your cash game lineups because there'd be so many games where he has zero shots, one shot, uh, something like that. Um, and, you know, a couple of those guys in your cash game lineup uh, with how much better the player the players have been getting over the last few years in DFS, uh, and you're probably sunk. So yes, uh, shot, vol- uh, shot volume for forwards uh, is king when playing cash, and it can also be king uh, for goalies playing GPPs. Let's talk about uh, GPPs a little bit. There are a lot of different ways to stack. Um, now, when we talk about stacking, we talk about using two, three, four players uh, from the same team, same line, same power play combination, something like that uh, to put into your lineup. Uh, some of the most common ones are a 4-3, which would be uh, three forwards and a defenseman from one team and three forwards from another. Uh, a 3-3, three, three, which would just be three forwards from one team and three from another with a couple Uncorrelated defensemen, a three-two-one, which would be three forwards from one team, two from another, and then a one-off, and two-two-two, uh, which I've seen coming into favor a little bit more over the last couple of years, especially um, with those bonuses that can pile up. Um, there are a lot of different ways to attack tournaments uh, with your roster construction. I'm somebody that tends to use a lot more three-three uh, or three-two-one stacking. Um, where I primarily play on DraftKings, those shot bonuses uh, and block bonuses certainly do mean a lot. And it's hard for all three players on a line to all get the shot bonus or something like that. Right. So um, sometimes you want that one-off guy from a different team uh, that might put up seven shots and an assist in a given night or, or something like that. So, How do you approach your roster construction? What do you favor uh, when you build? What do you look, uh, how do you build your rosters when you're building uh, your single entries?
1: Yeah, it's it's very slate dependent. But generally, unless I'm not single entry and I'm in these like 150 max tournaments, I stay away from a 4-3 lineup unless it just happens to, you know, I get it that way. Not gonna, you know, fight that and like, oh yeah, that's great but it's a 4-3, so I'm not going to do it. No, if it ends up that way, i do it. But for me, in these single-entry contests, I do a lot of 3-2-1s. I'll put three forwards and then two from another line and then one off. And if I happen to correlate my defenseman, I do, but that's not something I force in. But one thing I do like to do in these 3-2-1s is at least correlate one of the defensemen, whether that be a power play quarterback with the guy, with the with the winger you're using, or a shot-blocking defenseman. Um, I like to correlate that sometimes with my goalie as well. Um, But there's, there's plenty like two, two twos, like, because we've talked about, it's hard for all three guys to go off on the same line. You take these, these high floor, high ceiling guys and put them together. The one thing I worry about with that is if you're using an elite line, trying to make the decision, which guy to leave off. And that always, especially in one lineup can be so tilting. So on these with these elite lines, I definitely am more favored to going four three or three, two, one. Um, if there's a slate that doesn't have an elite line where all three players are just, you know, like I said, elite. I I I'm fine with the two two two. Back when, you know, DraftKings was running the three stars of the night, I was running two, two, twos a bunch in that and having a lot of success. There's also, you know, you can power play stack, you have the full power play, you have two wingers or a winger and defenseman from another team, and then a one off. I think that's gained a lot of traction in the past few seasons, especially with the points bonus and these arbitrary bonuses. So I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it, and it's very slate dependent and it's also build dependent. You know, if you're 150 max, you can mix and match all these. If you're single entry, you stick to what's working. If you're in the mid range there, I think you can mess around with it.
0: Yeah. um, Those are very good points. And the final one that I'll make um, about this stacking is that it's not necessarily about having all three players having big nights uh, at the same time. It's about stacking the player um, that is going to have the biggest night on the slate, right? Um, If you're, if you're just doing a lot of two twos or um, you know, even some sort of cashy style lineup um, it's easy to miss the guy that's going to put up the top score. Um, We'll take, Uh, Tonight's slate, for example, we will bring up um, our top stacks tool for tonight. Um, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and Steven Stamkos. Now, Stamkos sometimes uh, floats between the first and second line. But these guys are uh, skating together, at least on the power play. Um, The expectation and the hope is that they all have huge nights together. It doesn't necessarily go that way. Maybe Nikita Kucherov puts up a 40-point night. Um, state Steven Stamkos is at like 25, and then Braden Point, maybe an assist in a few shots or something like that, doesn't do very well. Um, that can bring down the average score of the entire line, but then you're getting that top score of the night from Kucherov, and then you're hoping with the other stacks, defensemen, goalies, that the rest will come through. Um, the final point about stacking that I'll make is when you're making a lot of lineups, I tend to play a lot of 20 max. Um, whether you're making 50 100 150 there are two different approaches to use one is a more spread out usage which you know maybe uh, if you're making 100 lineups you'll probably have no single player more than 30 or 35 percent owned or something like that Um, and then there's concentrating on a few stacks um, where even if you have 100 lineups maybe you have 60 lineups with the tampa bay top line maybe you have 50 lineups with the detroit top line and you go all in on three or four different lines uh, the reason you would do that is that if you you know, if your combination smashes, you'll be all over the top of the leaderboard and varying your defensemen and your goalies in those stacks will help get you to the top. Because there are a lot of times if you play DFS long enough, um, there are going to be nights you finish, you know, fourth in a tournament with uh, one of your defensemen putting up three points. Whereas if you played a different defenseman that would have put up 13 points, you would have been in first place. Um, that's kind of the benefit of doing the concentrating stacks where you just focus on a handful of teams, uh, go in all in on them with different uh, forward combinations, uh, different line combinations, and then just mixing up the defensemen and the goalies. It could also go very badly, right? If, if you're going all in on three or four teams and those three or four teams do nothing, you could lose all your entries in a given night. Whereas with the spread out um, usage, Um, maybe you can sneak a few into the cash and that'll keep you in the game longer. So a lot of it comes down to how you manage your bankroll, uh, how much you're playing every night versus how much you have uh, to go through. So whether you're trying to kind of protect your bankroll or whether you're trying to smash a slate, uh, there are different approaches. They both work. Our boss, Jake Harry, uh, uses a more spread out approach in his 150 lineups. uh, Whereas, you know, you'll see some other professional players uh, use very concentrated lineups with three or four different lines and then just swapping out maybe a one-off winger or a different defensemen, different goalies, that type of thing. So that when those lines do go off, they'll be at the top. There are two more. There's more than one path uh, to the top of a tournament. Um, and to get to the top of a tournament, sometimes you do need low-owned players to have big nights. Uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about ownership, small slate ownership versus large slate ownership, um, maybe uh, some tools uh, that people can use over at stochastic.com to help with these decisions.
1: Yeah. So we'll start off with the tools. The two tools that I use for ownership on Stochastic are the top stacks, which is great to show leverage because they have a top stack percentage and then, you know, they show an ownership percentage. It's basically, you know, top stack percentage minus ownership equals the, the leverage. Um, so yeah, I'll look, look for. I'm more look for leverage than ownership sometimes just because like, unless you're going with a four, three, one basic build, I'm in the department that believes ownership doesn't really matter. There are plenty of ways to get different. You can use a random one off defenseman, use different goalies, use a low owned secondary stack, even use a chalky secondary stack. Sometimes chalk on chalk ends up being contrarian because people don't want to play chalk on chalk. So it's really depends on your build. Um, If you're a four, three, one, just standard guy or girl, Um, you know, maybe keep ownership in mind, but you can, you know, what you talked about going all in on a couple of these stacks, if you're way above the field, on some of these chalky lines you're gaining leverage on the field no matter what you know what i mean so like ownership is kind of a guideline for me i just don't want to make sure that i'm playing like just every single chalky thing possible because how many times is every chalky player hit on the uh, like every night it's you know I just like to get contrarian in some spots, like, but I don't like force like, oh, this guy's twenty-five percent, but this guy's five percent. I gotta put him in so my lineup is different. I I play my best guys. I just know that I can get different in my builds, I can get different with my goalie selection. There's plenty of ways to be unique. If I feel like it's gonna be a chalky lineup, I'll make a power play stack. There's just ways to get different. So, like, yeah, maybe everyone in that power play is over 20%, but how many lineups? in that contest have all five of those players. It's not gonna be 20%. You're gonna get yourself different by doing that. So yeah, it might look like you're playing a chalky lineup on individual ownership, but hockey is a very correlated game. And if you know you have more correlation than the other guy, you're gonna have a unique lineup. So it's it's more about uniqueness than actual ownership in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think sometimes ownership can be a bit overblown. I'll I'll just do some quick math for an example. Let's say you're in a tournament with 1,000 players and the highest scoring stack of the night is 30% owned. That means 300 players will have that stack. And then the second highest scoring stack is 20% owned. Those those two lines will be in only 60 out of 1,000 lineups. And then if you have a 20% owned goalie, you're down to twelve, so 0.1 percent of the entire field will have the same forward lines uh, in same goalie combinations, and every player's over t- at least 20 percent owned. And we still haven't even factored in defensemen, which is, as you mentioned, one how you can get different, even if you get a bit chalky. So, um, yes, there are, um, you know, if you're playing a lot of lineups, you definitely want to get in some low-owned lines because um, we're recording this uh, mid-October. It was just last night. Uh, the New York Rangers had a big game on the road with some low ownership uh, in Minnesota and uh, won people uh, quite a bit of money. Those things do happen, um, especially on larger slates. But I agree with you. I think um, I wouldn't get super caught up uh, in ownership. I think one thing you and I don't do a lot of is one off super very high owned players. So if a guy's going to be 40 or 50 percent ownership, you know, we're not just going to stick them into our lineup. Uh, and then build the rest of our of our lineup because then you might run the chance of being duplicated. But I agree with you. I think ownership is a little overblown, uh, not to be ignored completely, obviously, um, especially when you're picking your one-off and your defenseman and things like that. That's how you get different with your lineups, with your main stacks. I just, I, I wouldn't be too, too concerned. I just I, avoid the bad chalk. You know, maybe there's a bad team at home um, on a short slate or something like that. That's going to come in with a lot of ownership because they are not very highly priced. That that would be the kind of bad chalk I would avoid. Um, the final thing, well, uh, second to final thing we'll touch on actually is goalies. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Um, on DraftKings, at least volume is very very important. Um, if a goalie gives up four or five goals, but he faces forty five shots, he can still have a decent night for you, even if he doesn't get the win. How do you approach uh, goalies? Do you correlate with any of your wingers or defensemen in your tournaments? What's your approach here?
1: So there's two ways to correlate goalies with your lineup. Mo- I mean, I'm sure there's more, but the two main ones are, you know, if you're running a four-three-one stack, you correlate your goalie with one of the stacks. Um, there's a lot of big believers that if you correlate your goalie with one of those stacks, that optimizes your lineup because the- you expect the teams to win. I'm not – I mean, I, I believe it, but I'm not a huge proponent of that, especially since these save bonuses came in. Um, the second way I like to correlate my goalies is I'll put in a goalie, and I'll uh, I'll generally like if I have to punt a defensive spot, I like to punt with some shot blocking defensemen. So if I'm going to use a shot blocking defenseman, and who I think is going to sh- block a lot of shots, that means I think their goalie is going to save a lot of shots as well. So I'm going to put in that goalie as well, kind of compound. Uh, the scoring there so and then you know you don't have to correlate goalies you just play your favorite goalie I mean it's simple as that especially on DraftKings where like oh this guy might face 47 shots and give up four goals he doesn't even have to win for him to be an optimal goalie we saw it on the first or second night of the season I think yeah Jonathan Quick Jonathan Quick gave up four goals had like 49 saves or something like that and it was the highest scoring goalie on the slate and he didn't even get the win so like on DraftKings, shot volume is king. On FanDuel, it's definitely more of like you need the win. And that's why you kind of, you know, pay up in for these, you know, expensive goalies who are heavily favored on FanDuel. But on DraftKings, it's just kind of like, yeah, let's let's play your favorite guy. And you can correlate with your defensemen, you can correlate with your stacks. Uh, there's no like hard set rule where like the the Twitter police will yell at you for, you know. Doing something silly with their goalie.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. Um, for on the shot volume front, the way the bath works out is generally speaking, when teams get the lead, um, they go into a little bit of a shell, and then they'll start allowing a lot more shots. So if a team gets out to a three nothing lead in the first period, you'll probably see the team that's down three nothing really pile the shots up in the second and third period. Uh, which is why sometimes you might want to correlate your your a stack or a one off with a goalie because if that team is leading chances are, they're going to start giving up more shots and that gives your goalie more chances to pile up the saves while your stack has already done very well for you for the night. So that's kind of why you might correlate a goalie with a stack. But um, yeah, especially on FanDuel where you definitely want the win as well. I think it makes a lot more sense on DraftKings with the save bonus. I don't think it's as necessary. Um, But certainly if you want to correlate uh, with the line stack, hoping that your team can get out to a lead and then your goalie can get some easy saves. That is absolutely one way to do it. All right, Josh, um, I think we've covered just about everything we need to cover for how to play NHL DFS. Do you have any final tips uh, for uh, the watchers out there, or is it just uh, pretty much rub your lucky rabbit's foot?
1: I think um, just real quickly, uh, something that's underrated in all of DFS sports is contest selection. Uh, If you're a one lineup guy, stick to single entry three max. You can put your, you know, contest, you know, your lineup in the 150 max just as a hope and dream in case you hit the nuts. But I think like if you're an MME player, I think, you know, obviously you want to put them in the first 150 max, right? But that secondary one that they usually put on is a lot softer because guys kind of players just put them into the top ones and then they go and eat dinner or whatever it is but like these secondary ones that are like 84 max or whatever it is you can sort your rankings you know on fantasy crunch or whatever you get in that secondary one often the secondary gpps have a lot lower high score than the top one so just be wary of your contest selection It, it like we talked about in the betting video closing line value it's essentially the same thing for dfs
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, If you're worried about your bankroll, you definitely don't want to play the top heavy payout tournaments. Um, You definitely want the more spread out ones. Maybe play a small three-man or 10-man tournaments or something like that. Contest selection, yes, it is very important, not only in NHL, but in every DFS sport you play. All right, that'll do it for us. That is how to play NHL DFS. Hopefully, it'll also be how to win at NHL DFS for anybody watching this uh, come check us out over at stochastic.com. Uh, sometimes we have promos on, um, sometimes we have free tools up. Uh, we have articles, uh, throughout the week, uh, talking NHL DFS. Um, if you want to come join us, uh, our discord is great for uh, talking through uh, your process, uh, checking for breaking news and all that. So come check us out. Stochastic.com. See what we have to offer on the NHL side. Uh, and hopefully we see you at the top of the leaderboards. Good luck, everyone. Good luck.